What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, baby. Hello, my love. <clears throat> how are you? Ready for another week of podcasting? <laughs> I love how you can go from being so frustrated to so present in a, a, the flick of an on switch. It's the name the of the game, <clears throat> name of the biz. That's uh, I learned that in theater school. <laughs> the, the, it's called the on and off switch. Man, uh, you know what? Though I got to say, I got to tell you, I I just had this thought very recently, but. So I got Donut. Donut came into my life at really a good time because I needed um, I needed something to not distract me, but I needed like something tender to fill your tender. Yes, heart. I needed something to love, mm-hmm. and I needed um, I also needed to like put my energy into something that wasn't. Uh, dwelling on heartbreak and hardship. Mm-hmm. And so I got to say like it, it, having donut is, has been so amazing for that. This is not a plea for anyone to go out there and, and buy a puppy. Not if, advisable. If, no, 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 don't like, don't do that. It, it just, it just by happenstance, it all came together at the same time. 
Um, but it, it's been such a gift. And the thing that's been so nice is like, um, it's getting me outside a lot more than I'm typically would do that. Yeah. Um, especially if I'm like low, yeah. I'd be like, I'm just going to stay in bed. Um, but I can't, I got to get up at fucking 2am and 6am and you know, <laughs> like always getting up, taking them out. <clears throat> but that's not my point. My point is that when I'm out and about where we live in the city, is it's a very uh it's it's very hustle and bustle there's a lot of foot traffic a lot of people out um and it's quite a little neighborhood it's a very like sweet little neighborhood with a lot of a lot of really cool people and um my favorite thing is like is basically i'm 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 walking i feel like i'm just walking around providing like just sprinkling joy Oh, yeah. All throughout the, it's like the north a, end of Halifax. A handful of confetti. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, just a handful of donuts that I'm just throwing out to everyone. And it, it's very nice. So that is filling me up right now. I'm feeling very grateful for that. But I have made the realization this is the longest, this is the longest I've gone without sex in a long time without sex. Mm. And and like any form of sex. You're not masturbating? Uh, no, you are definitely doing that. Um, <laughs> but like, I mean, like, you know, like early lockdown, there was still sex, but it wasn't like physical sex. It was right. like, you know, it was virtual. like, yeah, virtual connection, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. This is the longest I've gone without anything like that. Okay. And it is. Are you okay? I think it's making me real short. Oh, I think I'm like, I think I'm. I think I'm cranky about it. Not you're not losing height. Short. No, no, no. I'm still five <laughs> foot nine. I'm shrinking. Um, yeah. I mean that makes sense. And I, I know I that's think. I know that's like no, you fuck fucking cry, baby. Should like shut the fuck <laughs> up. But I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting to think about the longest period of time. You know, like when you if you let's say started having sex in a relationship that lasted for a long time and yeah. and it was monogamous or whatever and then maybe you're a bit of a serial monogamist and you you go right from one relationship to the next relationship and so you've you know you've you've pretty ha- pretty much had like consistent sex to think about the lo- you know to think about having gone 18 years without it or however yeah. old you were when when you you started having it is is I like to think about that time. I like to think about it too in terms of like I wasn't drinking at that time or hadn't been exposed to any drugs or anything like that. You mean when you're younger? Yeah, like, like when like you're when, when you start when you're younger and you just occupy yourself with other yeah, yeah, yeah. activities. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, now as you know, a sex having adult, I think the longest I've probably gone is about three months. Oh man, it's been it hasn't even been a month. No, yeah. It's been uh, it's been pretty damn close to a month. Okay, thirty days. Yeah, not such a long amount of time for a fast of any kind, really. It's a fucking long time for a fast of coffee. It's a long time <laughs> for a fast of nicotine. Yeah, that's you know, true. it's a long time for for a fast of the thing. I'm not saying I'm addicted to sex because, hey, that's quite controversial and whatever. We don't have to go down that road. But, but, uh, but I am. It is. It is a. You know, I was having this conversation the other day but with somebody, I don't remember who it was, about love languages. Oh, I was talking to Jeff, my my, my um, 
my agent, our, our manager. Cool. Was he familiar with love languages? No, no, okay. he wasn't. And, yeah. and it was this really nice conversation about like what they are. And, and, you know, we were talking about like, you know, what, what are his love languages? Like, and, and what are mine? And, and, you know, mine are physical touch and words of affirmation. Mm-hmm. And, and you feel like that's been pretty consistent? Pretty much my whole life. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like mine might be, sh- might, might be shifting. No. Okay. No. I, I mean, y- you know, it was really interesting was when I started dating Leah, one of the things that was never a love language of mine to give mm. was acts of service. Right. I'm not, I'm not a very big acts of service kind of guy. because it's my number one. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I know. And then, and then I started dating Leah and that was like, I don't even know. I don't even think that was one of her love languages, but it was like, <clears throat> I, I don't know why I just had this like deep compulsion, compulsion to like, to serve, you know, like I, I, I was, you know, I, I found myself like making dinner for her, like almost nightly. Mm-hmm. I, dude, I barely make dinner for my fucking self. Yeah. Like I don't, I do acts of service for me. I don't believe you've ever made me dinner. I, I know. <laughs> so I, I maybe, maybe made, made you pad thai like on our first date mm. or something, but, but yeah. So like, I'm um, pretty sure I introduced you to pad thai. So maybe not, but is that, is, is that me <laughs> shifting my love language? Because, because like, uh, because I know that it, typically the love languages that I feel fill me up. Yeah are the ones that I innately tend to give more than right. the others. And I think that's <clears throat> typically how, if anyone's listening to this for the first time, the concept of love languages is that there's about five universal ways that humans tend to give or receive love. Yeah. And that generally speaking, we, we kind of have a top two that are the way we prefer to receive love. And then, um, and then, and then, and also in theory, the, the, is that we tend to match up with folks who have opposite love yeah. languages. So yeah. the idea is that even though you like to receive love in a certain way, like an act of service, like having dinner made for you, it may not be received by the person you're giving it to as an act of love because they recognize something different. Yeah. And again, just for the first timers who are listening or anybody who needs a recap, the love languages are acts of service, gifts, like presents. That's a really hard That's word to say into the microphone. Gifts. 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 <laughs> um, Is it gifts or gifts? <laughs> uh, which, I mean, self, pretty self-explanatory. That um, one's weird to me, gifts. I can totally get behind it. I think... I, it, I guess I understand it, but like, if that's your love language, that's gotta be, that's gonna come, become expensive real quick. It doesn't have to be expensive. You know, and there's some crossover between gifts and acts of service. You know, I picked you this sure. bouquet or sure, whatever, sure, sure. you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, you can yeah. find ways that it doesn't have to be expensive. What are other ways that you can give gifts that aren't financially based? Um, okay. Well, let me just get to the first, let me finish the five and then we can get into that question. <laughs> okay, but, okay, okay. Okay. So what, what do we have? Acts of service, gifts, <laughs> quality <Gifts>. time. <laughs> can you not say that word? I can't. Well, I didn't vocally warm up today, so my Gifts. articulators are low key, but I find I'm just self-conscious about saying it into the microphone. Say it again. <laughs> What's funny is I have the monitors on, you don't, yeah. and I'm really hearing it. I'm <laughs> you, really hearing the way you're fucking that word up. Gifts. <laughs> you don't, you really don't pronounce the T, eh? Gift. Gifts. Gifts. It hurts. It hurts to put those three um, consonants together, gifts. the F, T, and S. At they're, home, they're uh, everybody at home, all together now, <laughs> one, two, three, gifts. There we go. Oh, my God. <clears throat> um, quality time. 
is another love language, which is a big one for me as well. Um, especially these days when it's so hard to have screen free time with a human being. That's one of my, that's like basically taken over quality time is just, it just means screen free, um, words of affirmation. Um, so just, you know, confirming that you love or someone's beautiful or, you know, whatever. Did I get them all? And physical touch. And physical touch, which is also what it is. So there's touch, words of affirmation, gifts, uh, acts of service and quality time. You got it. So so I was noticing that I was doing a lot more acts of service, even though that's not my love language. And even though I don't, I didn't, I don't think it was necessarily hers, but still very high up on that list of what I was doing to show my love Mm -hmm. was physical touch and words of affirmation. Like I, I very much am constantly when I'm in, when I'm really into someone, I'm like, constantly telling them how fucking beautiful they are and i i love saying i love you and that like I, those things feel really good and then physical touch is like that is if i was to like put it on a, a put it on a, a a graph and like where it would sit on the graph mm-hmm. words of affirmation would be like middle of the graph physical touch is like way the fuck up there mm-hmm. and whether that's like sex or it doesn't necessarily have to be sex. It could be sex. It could be just fucking cuddling, like legs tangled up. It could be like grooming. You know, I love like, grooming. I love that you love grooming. <laughs> grooming is, uh, you know, like popping each other's blackheads oh, and, fuck, I love it. you know, just that kind of monkey kind of stuff. stuff. Monkey that, stuff. That gorilla shit. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, anyway, yeah, all that to say, I haven't, I haven't had, I haven't had physical, t- I haven't had much physical touch. <sighs> And I'll pick your blackheads later. Yeah, I would like that. Um, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's, it's, it really is reminding me of like how I get when I don't have coffee or if I don't have nicotine. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I feel, I don't know. I just feel like. Um, irritable? Not so much irritable, but, it, but more so just like, I don't know. I think I'm just sad. I think I'm just like, it's like a sadness. Bummed. I'm bummed. I'm, I get bummed when I don't have ca- caffeine. <clears throat> right. I don't really get it irritable. I get bummed. I'm like, why, is, why am I so fucking bum- like slouchy and bummed today? And then I have coffee. I go, oh, yeah. That, right. Oh, I yeah. feel better. So I'm, that's what I'm feeling. Do you think, because I know that you've been feeling sad for a little bit. It's been like a fucking year. Yeah. But do you think maybe, you know, and before that there was Big B and before that there was the end of your relationship with Becca. Yeah. And do you think maybe your system just is a little depressed in general? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. 1000%. There's no doubt about that. But. I guess this all this all really did start with like th- this this bummedness started with the end of the, my relationship with Becca. Mm. <clears throat> you know, like that was um that was a re- that was one of the that was a really hard breakup. I haven't gone through many breakups. Yeah. That was really hard. Yeah. Um and 
and that that relationship had to end like mm-hmm. that couldn't that really could not go any longer but it's still i was still really sad that it ended and then from that moment up till now i've just been in this state where i'm just like i just want fucking i want i want love i just want i want love so bad mm-hmm. without drama yeah without drama and like i get love from you <clears throat> i i and that does fill me up but I need, um, you know, our relationship has evolved to a point where it's it, like our inti- intimacy and our love is much more platonic mm. than it is romantic. And I'm, I very much am like this hopeless, romantic, fucking mushy love freak. Mm-hmm. And I just haven't had it in so goddamn long. And... Um, yeah. And I just like, it's, it's, it's fucking wearing on me, man. It's like, it's, this is, which is why it felt so good to have donut because you get that flood of so in love with him. I'm so, you know, like I was, I was carrying him him down to get him out to pee. I got to fucking, cause he can't use stairs. So I had to carry him down the step, like this flight of stairs out of the condo. And I was just like walking him down the Luckily, stairs, just like talking to his ear, being like, I love you so much and I will fucking always take care of you. And I love you. I, I, I was like crying while walking him to pee, <laughs> you know, like I, yeah, I don't know. I just, um, I don't even know why, why we, we, I started the fucking podcast like this. Well, it's, it's kind of, it's a really interesting thought and experience that you're having and, and sort of contemplation that you're having around it. And like you said, you haven't had many breakups. No. Um, I think there's also something to the fact that you can see that it sort of started at the end of your relationship with Becca. Mm. Um, and I bet if we pushed it even a little bit more, we could find sources of it throughout because there, you know, your parents were divorcing even before yeah. that. And that really bummed yeah. you out. Yeah. And there's something, there's an interesting, I don't know, maybe you don't feel this way, but especially in the wake of your parents' divorce and, you know, watching, watching them deal with their or not deal with their grief about their own relationship ending it seems to me that there may be a message in there about, you know, like we can stand on this side of things and say, Hey, you know, like your dad, for example, is a part of a different generation where they didn't, weren't allowed to process their feelings or their emotions and they stuffed things down and they pretended Mm. it wasn't there. And they became, you know, maybe not, not became the good time guy, but they were more known as like the good time person, you know? And then when it comes down to hard emotional things, there's just sort of an absence there. I'm sort of seeing it as well with some of my older brothers. Mm. Um, and, <clears throat> and just feeling like they're kind of in that, that generation as well. And so there may be something, I don't know, to think about in relation to that, just how can you do this in a healthier way than has been demonstrated to you by the older men in your life, you know, because you're experiencing this, but also there's the feeling like you've compared it to coffee, you've compared it to nicotine of it being a sort of a hit. And in that way, a hit is, it is a little bit of an addiction. And I'm not saying that you're like addicted to love, but what the way that we 
I've been, you know, reading a little bit more about like 12 step programs and the idea of, of, of not having like a soothing balm to put on the general achiness that it is to like live as a human being, nothing to take the edge off is, is kind of, you're in that state right now. You Mm. don't have those natural, that dopamine soothing you, um, from the inside out. So how can you sort of take care of yourself in the absence of that? And with, because nobody wants to be in a position where they have to, where they're looking around for someone to fill a void, you know? Like, do you know what I mean by that? Like if you're feeling a bit of a space, an emptiness or a depression or a sadness or a void in the absence of this kind of physical intimacy, how can you cope or make that, put that into perspective so that it, it, it isn't just excruciating and, it, and you, aren't a, you aren't at the mercy of it? Mm. I don't have any answers I don't for know. You. Yeah, I don't, I don't know either. But do, I think by finding someone that will love me. <laughs> yeah, okay. But that puts you know? the solution and someone that I can love. Yeah. And and we should all <clears throat> have places and people to give and receive love yeah. from and I think honestly that's so cliched but I think if there's any reason or rhyme or purpose to everything we go through as human beings it could it could be to learn to learn how to love. Mm. Um, because it's such an act of, of selflessness to really, to really love. Like you referred to us as, as having a platonic love, but the word that also resonates for me about the way I feel about you is, is like a fierce love. Like I would throw my body in front of a bullet for you. Um, and I can't say that about everybody that I love. Um, so I don't know what my point is, but, but, but I think there's just definitely something to examining what you're feeling and what you perceive as the only solution to that. And then consider, like, I know, I know that the only, I know it's not the only solution to find somebody else, you know, to like find someone that fits into the puzzle piece that's missing. Mm-hmm. I know that's not the only answer but it doesn't change the fact that like that's what I want yeah that's just that's all I want yeah you know it's funny that I've ended up with so many romantics in my life because you yeah my sister Tara all of her kids um a lot of the people that are closest to me Mm -hmm. see themselves as romantics and I've always had a hard time seeing myself that way i don't even really know i still don't even really know what that means romantic english language uh a person who thinks a lot about love and does and says things that show strong feelings of love for someone oh yeah that That yeah that's that's exactly (laughs) what i am someone who is not realistic or practical Mm -hmm. (laughs) someone who thinks that things are better or more exciting than they really are shit Yeah, I guess that, that does. Is there kind of like a up. remedy for romantics that you can look up? Yeah, there's a quiz here. How romantic are you? Uh, oh no. 
I I wonder if I could get an answer once and for all <laughs> if right. I am truly a romantic or not cuz I I feel Well, do you want to do this quiz? Yeah, sure. Sure, give me a quiz. All right. Um do you ever create a romantic scene like you'd see in the movies? Rose petals on the bed or walkway, candles around the room, etc. A, as often as possible, I should have I should have stock in candle companies. B, I've done my share of romantic scenes. C, rarely or never. Those are just cliches. Rarely or never. Okay, I would say B. I've oft, I've I've done my share of romantic scenes, but I'm not I'm not a f- fucking weirdo about it. Uh, <laughs> two, do you believe in love at first sight? Yes, I am all about instant love. B, uh, it could po- be possible for some people of at the some people of the time. Oh, sorry, learn how to read, Jer. It could be possible for some people some of the time. Or C, not in real life, only in movies. I think B. I say A, yes. Okay. Yeah, 100%. We're leaning towards you being a little bit more romantic than me. I think we are a little bit. (laughs) Uh, Three, do you daydream about romantic places or ideas? A, one of my favorite things to do. B, I've had my daydreaming moments. C, I am not a daydreamer. I live in the real world. Okay. C sounds like a real fucking dick. (laughs) Yeah, they're supposed to mix them up. So no, you can't they're not. Get, they're not. They're very clearly. I, it's gonna be at the it's end. Like it's a, gonna be like if you've answered A yeah. for most or B for most yeah. or C for most. So I, actually, I should I should take this down here. I'll I'll write this down so that we we can track exactly what we've answered the most of. So Bridie, uh, Jer. So you said C and then B. I think you said C and B. Yeah. Uh, C B and then I said uh, B. A. Mm-hmm. No, but the third one, the daydreaming, that's tough because I really have to think about, I do, I do a lot of daydreaming. But do you daydream about romantic places or ideas? I dream about, no, I don't. I think I'm a B. Just put me a B because I'm definitely not a C. I too am a B on that one. Okay. Um. Yeah. I find myself like daydreaming about like great places for a date. Like okay. Like that. That's nice. Uh, four, do you find yourself emotionally moved by sentimental gestures? A, I am easily moved by sentimental gestures. B, I have my sentimental moments. Or C, I am not sentimental. Why are you laughing? <clears throat> I'm just laughing because C is just such a <laughs> fucking cunt. I think I'm a B. <clears throat> same. Okay. B and B. Sometimes. Yeah, same. Sentimental. Sometimes it makes my skin, my skin grow. Are you into chick flicks, romance novels, still watching shows like The Bachelor in hopes of finding uh, people finding love, even though most of the season's couples have broken up? <laughs> a, most of my movie, television, book choices involve romance. B, I sometimes seek out romantic stories and shows. C, I prefer action, adventure, crime, pretty much anything but romance. Yeah, I've, I'm not much of a romance. I'm going to go with you on that. C. Okay. Uh, I don't watch mostly, that shit. but well, let let's say here. Okay, okay, so I got Todd to watch Fried Green Tomatoes for the first time the other night. Right, and it's your favorite movie. It's my favorite movie. I've seen it, and I don't like exaggerating. So when I tell you I've seen it thirty times, I've seen it at least thirty times. Wow, <clears throat> I love wow. that movie so 30 much. Times, wow. It impacted me. I don't think me. I've seen a film thirty times. Right, a lot of people are like, I've seen it a hundred times. I'm like, no, you I've have seen not. Alien probably ten times. Right. 30, that's a lot. Um, Fuck me. Um, did you know that the same, side note, because then we went and we watched uh, Thelma and Louise, well, only the first half, and we fell asleep. Did you know it was directed by Ridley Scott? Same director as Alien? Fried Green Tomatoes? No, Thelma and Louise. Oh, no. Uh, no, I didn't know that. Ridley Scott has a... Oh, he's, he's got a... Very eclectic... He's got a, 
a wonderful um, library of films. It's unbelievable. Like, yeah. but I couldn't contrast Alien against Thelma and Louise no. anymore. But anyway, no. so that was just a sidebar. Um, fried green tomatoes. Watching it again for the the millionth time. I and most you know most of those times were in my teens because I that's when that's when I found it. Um, how much it occurred to me? So Todd at one point was like, "Oh, they're gonna fall in love, or they're in love." The two lead women, and I was like, "Huh, interesting." And I kept watching, and I've never read the novel, so I was wondering. I, I was wondering, are they insinuating that these two women are in love with each other? But I think it's just uh, that really fierce, platonic mm. love that's mm-hmm. between them. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and and you know I I both I wanted to be both of these women. I I was in love with both of these women. Um, God, Brad and Pitt so, is so good looking. But there is something really romantic about that story. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, do you write poems and love letters to your special someone all the time? Maybe on special occasions or once in a while or never? Maybe on special occasions. I don't think I ever do. So B and C. Remember that time I made you a stop motion animation movie? I was thinking about that the other day and wondering where it is. I know. I wonder where it is too. Yeah. That I was, made it. I, it was so sweet. You told, you sent me a text <clears throat> message um, back when we started dating called like the story of Bridie and Jeremy. Mm. And it was this like text message that just like talked about our love. And oh, well, you know, I'm going to have to change my answer there to be then. Yeah. Cause I guess you I did. have done, you I did. guess I have done you that. You send that yeah, and yeah, then right. I turned it into a stop motion animation. Oh, that's so cute. And it was a Sefton Stevens song. That that's I remember. right. Uh, that was the uh, soundtrack to it. Do you use pet names for your partner? A, so often that I rarely call him or her by his or her real name. B, I have moments of using pet names or terms of endearment, or C, not my style. Uh, I, I'm probably an A because it's just Same. habit. Yeah, I don't. I, babe. I, yeah, babe is like that yeah. comes out so much. <clears throat> Which my teenage self would be squealing about because I used to think that was the sexiest nickname babe, ever. Babe, babe, <laughs> babe, come on, babe, <laughs> babe, go on. Uh, do you enjoy spooning and cuddling? This is fucking easy. A, I will take all the physical affection I can get. B, at convenient and appropriate moments in time. Or C, I am not much of a cuddler or spooner. Um, a B. I'm an A for sure. I'm literally a koala bear and my partner is a tree. Have you ever brought your partner breakfast in bed? A, it is something I love doing. B, I have done before and would again. C, maybe a granola bar as he or she is headed out the door but not in bed. Yeah, this is a point of contention. All I want is to have coffee delivered to me in bed every morning. That's yeah, right. how I, that's my dream wake up call. And I, for the life of me, cannot communicate that enough to make it happen. To make it happen. So, but, but, but is it something that you do? Um, I do it, but I don't feel romantic about it. I do it because I have to make coffee for myself. So I'll make coffee for my partner. So I would so then B. I have before and would again. I don't know. I think put put C for me on that one actually. C? Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna say uh um I'm gonna say B on that one. Um do you plan romantic activities? A, those are some of the best kinds of activities, so yes. 
<laughs> this is the Tara is such an A. <laughs> yeah. uh, B, I mix in romantic activities with other types of activities. C, rarely if ever. I think I'm a C on that one. All right. I would say I'm a B. Um, even though I don't really know what <clears throat> romantic activities are, I, I definitely, I think I definitely think about that kind of, again, like when I'm thinking about dates, I'll think like, oh, maybe I'll, we'll like pack a picnic or something. I would, however, like someone else to plan romantic activities yeah, for totally. me to participate Who in. I wouldn't. That's so nice. Yeah. Uh, 11, <laughs> do you take initiative in your relationship to be romantic even if your partner does not? Yes, it is a priority for me. B, I will do it if it's been a while. C, no, it's not important or ne- necessary. I hate that I have, I'm answering a C here. Wow. I'm a B. I'm not, it's not always, but sometimes. Uh, we're almost there. We've got uh, just a few more. I'm um, becoming less romantic as the survey goes on. <clears throat> Do you keep mementos from experiences with your partner, like concert ticket stubs, wine corks, and sentimental items from trips? A, I have enough to fill a scrapbook. B, I have a few select items from over the years. C, I'm not really into that kind of stuff. I think I'm a B. Yeah, I'd say I'm a B on that, too. All right. Uh, do you know what it's like to feel mushy inside? Yes, I'm a mush ball, and I love that mushy feeling. I have my mushy moments. Not a pleasant feeling, nor I ha- nor one that I have often. I'm a C. Oh, my God, really? You I have, feel mushy? I have mushy feelings when <clears throat> I'm falling in love with someone. Man, I'm an A all the way. <laughs> Uh, all right. Do you and your partner have a special song together? Yes, I can tell you exactly what it is. B, there are songs that me, make me think of him or her, but nothing official. Not really. Some couples do that kind of thing. I, I, wanna, I just want to play a song that I, that I okay. have for you. All right. What's uh, the answer, though? Okay, say, say, uh, tell me the... Uh, a, I, I mean, A is like, yeah, and I know the song. B is, there are songs that make me think of them, mm. but there's nothing official. And then C, no. Um, well, I'll play this and you tell me if you think this is official. Cause I, this, this would be a song that I 100% think of you. Um, oh yeah. That's our official song for sure. The song? Yeah. How much of it can I play? Not much? No. Okay. That was our wedding, uh, website, website song. song. Black Keys, <clears throat> Black Keys, Everlasting Light. It's a great song. It's a good song. Yeah. Dan Airbach's got, he's got a talent. Yeah. I'm going to go A, yes, and I can tell you exactly what it is. Um, Put me as a B. B, okay. <clears throat> uh, oh, did I put mine down there? Hold on one second. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Uh, would you call yourself a person who is a romantic? I am a romantic and I am proud of it. I would say I can be romantic, but I'm not sure that I am one. I would not describe myself that way. I would not describe myself that way. Okay. I guess after taking this, I would say a, I definitely am. Okay. So, uh, Bridie, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven C's. Oh God. I'm that person. You might be that person. Seven C's, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven B's. Oh, my God. Okay. You're right on the fence. You're on the, 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 the fence. And uh, one A. One A. All right. I have uh, one C. 
Oh my God, <laughs> dude. Oh my God. What the fuck? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight bees. And then I guess it would be six A's. One, two, three, four, five, six A's. Yeah, you're a high B. High B. If most of your answers are A, so if you've been doing this at home, uh, if most of your answers are A, you are a person who tends towards romance and being romantic. You like you like the idea of love and, and the gestures and feelings that come with it. You make romantic experiences a priority and feel most fulfilled when you and your partner are creating those experiences. While very romantic people are passionate, creative, and often, often joyful, they, they can have moments where the fantasy of a situation leaves them disappointed. You are clearly the type of person that will seek out and create romantic experiences. Be careful to communicate your needs and desires and not be disappointed when your partner or the moment may not exactly be as romantic as you are. That's a good, that's a good uh, thing to consider. Keep in mind. If your answers are B, you have, uh, you have your romantic moments and allow yourself to feel ex- and experience romance. You have been known to initiate romantic activities and would likely welcome a partner who enjoyed these types of gestures. You may make romance a priority during sentimental times, or perhaps you sprinkle little bits of it into various moments of your life. Ask yourself if you have the right balance in your life of romance and adjust the amount if you feel like it's lacking or a bit too much for your taste. That sounds exactly like me. I'm definitely like full on a B. If most of your answers are C, you are someone that either shies away from romance or avoids it altogether. While there is no rule book that says romance is a must do or must have, it is important for you to ask yourself if life this way is working for you. If both you and your partner are fine with this minimal amount of romance and your relationship is working well, then perhaps you want to leave things as they are. If you or your partner are finding that your relationship could use more romance, or if you believe that your lack of romance skills or feelings are impeding you from finding a relationship, then you might want to make more of an effort to step up your romantic game while still staying somewhat within your comfort zone. Find romantic gestures that work for your style. Yeah, it's that's interesting because I don't think it works for my partners. Um right. how how little romanticness yeah, right. there is in me. Right. And like and you, I do have to try a little bit. You gotta try a little harder. But I try in ways that feel most natural to me. Mm. So for example, those sorts of gestures like the uh stop motion animation. Yeah. You know, I wrote a poem that I think is quite good, um, for Todd. I I I've written I've written poems for other um, lovers or potential lovers as well. So those things feel really natural in terms of romance. The writing thing, yeah, yeah, that makes and, sense to me. And and you know, like going off to a cabin for the weekend is yeah. something that yeah. I think is is a priority. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but I definitely I'm not a date. I don't. Even in the, you know, even in my teenage years watching things like She's All That and all yeah. of those sort of romantic comedies where where candles and rose you're, petals and things like that were used, I always... You're not I, unrealistic about it. I'm not unrealistic, yeah. no. It's huh. funny because um, I looked up aromantic. So basically while you're just reading that, I Googled, I'm not romantic, is there something wrong with me? Um, <laughs> I found the word aromantic. But the word aromantic... Uh, according to WebMD, Sexual Health Division, uh, aromantic people have little or no romantic attraction to others. This mm. may or may not 
they may or may not feel sexual attraction. An aromantic person can fall into one of two groups, aromantic sexual people or aromantic asexual people. So I guess I'm an aromantic sexual person because I'm not asexual. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting. I wouldn't say you're aromantic. I would say, but I would say that you are, because you did answer the same true. amount of Bs as that's Cs. That's true. You're, yeah. you're, 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 you are, you're just less romantic than I am. Mm-hmm. And other partners. I'm not a hopeless romantic. Right. I am a very, I very much am a romantic. Yeah. You are somewhat romantic. romantic. I'm somewhat romantic. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I think, um, I can be a little bit romantic in the way that I like to, not right now for anyone watching us, Patreon. Um, but I can be a bit of a romantic. Uh, I like to have a bit of a romantic wardrobe. Like I love, I don't know if you've ever, I, I will for the patrons take a picture of myself in my high school prom dress, which is essentially a medieval wedding dress. It is very romantic. You should toss that up on the, uh, on the, um, close friends, Instagram. Oh, good idea. Story for all of our patrons that have uh, <laughs> sent us their Instagram handles and want to be a part of our close friends group, which is one of our, uh, our new Patreon tiers. And again, if you want to watch, the foreplay to this week's episode, you can go to patreon.com slash Jeremy on. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, uh, we are, we're chugging right along here. Do you want to go right into the conversation or did you, there, you had something you yeah, wanted to touch no, on? No, no, I'll save it for next week. What I have right. for next week. But before we do throw, I would like to thank the incredible folks who have signed up be, to become patrons. <clears throat> um, since we last spoke, uh, thank you for making our podcast go round. It, literally we would not be doing this still without our patrons um it's just and 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 of course all of the letters of support from our our fans yeah we love to hear from you yeah we do um but this week especially we want to thank maddie Britton, which i think is such a great name that is a great name uh alicia kelsey ryan danielle amber taryn and marita we love you. Thank yeah, you thanks. so much for showing up for us in thanks, this gang. incredible way. Um, and we've had a couple of folks reach out to uh, who are interested in supporting us financially outside of Patreon because, of course, like any uh, really helpful third party, they, Patreon does take a fee. And um, if that's you and you're just not willing to hand over your credit card information to a third party or you want um, to just give us all of your money, then we will take that. For sure, by email we'll money transfer, <laughs> and um, <clears throat> and I will be. I'll be making a list of of people to thank um, with with those with who have given us that support for next week. Um, yeah. All right. Just thank well, you. Let's uh, let's jump right into our conversation. It was a really lovely chat uh, with uh, Ricardo. He is a photographer. Um, his website is sexnotporn.com, and um, uh, I'm gonna let uh, Ricardo do the talking. Uh, his his whole thing is f- uh, photographing people having very intimate moments with one another or with themselves. Um, but he does not view his work as porn. Instead, he views it as art. And uh, it was a very interesting conversation with somebody who is uh, clearly an artist um, and and is very passionate <clears throat> about the work that they do. And uh, just had a lovely chat and really, really enjoyed this conversation. So we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Um, For our patrons, we will see you later. 
And uh, for everybody else, we will see you on the other side. Brady, I, I, I'm, I am, I'm going to th- throw you uh, in the deep end here. Uh, give me a little background into what we're what we're walking into today. Well, to to be honest, I don't. I, I got a, I got an email that just sounded really interesting, and when I clicked through to the website, um, sex, sex not porn. Um, I was very intrigued by the um, photography there. So I said, absolutely, let's have a chat. And here we are sitting with, I love your last name, Scipio. So am I pronouncing it correctly? You are pronouncing it correctly. And good job. Most people Thanks. mispronounce it. So oh, good I, job. I, lo- I love a good SC sound. So Ricardo Scipio. Um, and I think we're going to, be talking a little bit about some uh, provocative photography. Erotic, erotic photography is that? I mean, uh, hey, sex not porn. What do you? What do you? What do you call your uh, f- photography, Ricardo? I call it sexual art. Um, yeah. I actually don't consider it erotic, although erotic's in the eye of the beholder. So some mm-hmm. people might find it erotic, but that's sort of not uh, you know not the spirit that I did the work in. Sure. Uh, uh, why? Why do you not see it as erotic? What, what does erotic mean to you? And, and, and what sets this, uh, in your eyes, what, what sets this outside of the realm of, of erotic? <laughs> That's a controversial question. So Perfect. I'll, 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 I'll Fucking give, love I'll it. Right, it. In the, right in the deep end right, right away. Let's do it. <laughs> and I'll, gi- I'll give a controversial answer. Perfect. Um, to me, it, just in my opinion, there's no such thing as erotic art. Um, the two things don't go together. Um, in my mind, eroticism are things that are made that are designed to arouse people. Right. And um, I don't believe art is made to arouse. Um, I think art does a lot of things. It can help us, you know, compare and contrast and investigate and uh, move through things that we are afraid of, move, you know, move, move through things that haunt us, that obsess us, et cetera, et cetera. Um, one person told me once something that sort of brought it home to me. Um, if you're a painter and you're painting an apple, there might be millions of different reasons why you're painting an apple, but it's never going to be because you're trying to make somebody hungry. Does that make any mm-hmm. sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> I like that. So, That's a- yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not trying to disparage eroticism. Um, you know, it's had an important place in history and is important currently in the culture for sure. But it's just not my my bent. Yeah. Um, when you When you – and that's one of the main uh, differences, I think, between like what I do and porn, for example – in my work, if you look at my work, the people I photograph 
aren't looking at the camera. They're not playing to an audience. They're not sure. trying to they're not trying to titillate you. They're not trying to engage you. They're in their own world. They're doing their thing. They're mm-hmm. being themselves. And what they're being is unapologetic. And I think that's um, an important thing because most of the time we apologize for being sexual in this mm. in this culture. We we live in a very sex negative culture and a sex negative country. So, you know, when people are sort of authentically being sexual, often you know there's an apology attached. Oh, sorry. I hope we're not offending anyone. I hope right. no children are, are watching. I hope the church doesn't get mad. I hope you know. I hope. Ooh. You know, I hope the censors don't come down hard on us. I hope Facebook doesn't ban us, et cetera, et cetera. It's my dog. Well, uh, my dog also feels the same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's agreeing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's like, yes, me too. <laughs> Fuck Facebook. Yeah. yeah so you, yeah. you, um, you, you've been a photographer for a long time. Um, Are you trying to say I'm old? <laughs> well, I don't know how old you are. You, you, you know timeless. You have a timeless look about you. Um, good, re- good but, recovery. <laughs> but I assume that you've had a bit of a, of a journey with your photographic career because I read in your bio that you were at one point a fashion photographer. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious about how, what in like basically how those two things, uh, blend, like how one blended into the next and what it was that sort of you were hungry for when you started out as a photographer and if if you feel like you're zeroing in on something or if you're passing through um this on your way to something something else that's that's a great question um when i started off as a photographer which is when i was 14 um what i was hungry for is social contact i was a very very shy kid and um I found out if you had a camera, people were interested in you. If you were at a party and you had a camera, people wanted you to photograph them. I found out that, you know, that pretty girls <laughs> liked being photographed as a shy, you know, awkward teenager that came in handy. I, when I was 14, I managed to get the most beautiful girl in our class to be my girlfriend because she was vain and she liked being photographed. So it worked. <laughs> um, but I just, I loved cameras and I loved photography it seemed like magic you know you could well back in those days I started with a Polaroid camera and um, it was just magic just seeing that image come to life right in front of right in front of right in front of your eyes and then I went to art school and when I got out of art school the thing I was hungry for was survival (laughs) I was trying to make a living I was like as an artist you know what what am I going to do the I was interested in painting, writing, and photography. And it didn't seem plausible that I was going to be able to make a living from painting or writing anytime in the near future. But I thought with photography, at some point, someone needs a photograph for something. Mm. You know, you, you know, I figured you could always get some sort of gig as a photographer. So um, I, tried, I tried to get work. And the only work I could get at the time as a photographer was being a fashion photographer. I was lucky that I knew someone that knew someone at a modeling agency and they took pity on me <laughs> and uh, 
And they basically let me photograph their models for free for like six months. And when they became satisfied with what I was doing, they started paying me for it. And that started me on a 10-year journey where I, you know, was traveling all over the place, you know, photographing models. And uh, that was, you know, how I started as a photographer. And um, it was, you know, a very interesting time. Not only because I was 20, and when you're 20, everything's interesting. You're just emerging, in, in, you know, into the world, and everything seems possible, and you feel invincible and all that good stuff. But also, um, ironically, it was in, you know, it was the beginning and the middle of the AIDS epidemic. Mm. And so, ironically, I was in this industry with so many young, creative, you know, vibrant people and they were dropping dead like flies, you know, right, right in front of me. Um, you know, three of my my best friends, you know, went in a year and a half. And, oh my uh, gosh! Yeah, you know, in your early twenties, the last thing you're thinking about is death. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, it made me think more about life and about my choices. And I decided I wanted to do work that was less temporary. And, and less superficial. Um, I enjoy being a fashion photographer, but no matter how good your fashion photos are in six months, nobody's interested because the style has changed. Right. So, so it's very, you know, it's very temporary, um, which is one of the things I liked because it forced you to continually change your style and continually grow and challenge yourself. You can't just sort of sit on one style or one mode of photographing. But, um, I wanted to do the opposite. I wanted to create, you know, create images that wouldn't go out of style. And I figured nudes would never go out of style. They, you mm-hmm. know, they never, they never have. I mean, nudes that were done in the time of the Greeks and the Romans are still interesting, mm-hmm. you know, to us. And so I went the opposite. I went, uh, I started photographing fine art nudes in color in natural landscapes, and mm-hmm. that became the next part of my journey. Uh, from from fashion photography. Turn Me On Podcast will be back after this short break. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Life is full of what ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Do 
Do you, what what when people this is a bit of a weird question. I don't quite know how to phrase it, but how would you like people to uh describe the type of photography that you do? So some of the first words that obviously came to our mind were erotic and um and uh you know, one of the first things that I thought was like they're very um um like raw, like Mm-hmm. It it feels like, pr- like almost voyeuristic, like a little bit like I'm in the room. Fly on the wall. Mm-hmm. Mm. And yeah, if, yeah, just curious about. No, that's a good question. Um, I would be most comfortable with people describing it as either sexual art or intimate art. Mm. Um, but it's it's kind of like having to invent the terms because there hasn't been a long tradition of, you know, this kind of work. Mm. So it's not like um, there's already established sort of vocabulary and descriptors for it. But, and I was having a big debate yesterday about this very subject because um, some people were saying that some porn is art and some art is porn. And, you know, what, what is it that I, that I consider myself, my work, where does my work fit in that continuum and all that stuff. But um, yeah. um, For me, I consider myself a receiver. So when I go to photograph someone, whether they're nude or not, or having sex or not, I consider it my job to receive them. Um, the best way that I can. And that means sort of getting outside of myself a bit and not having it be all about me and all about me sort of enforcing my idea of how they should be photographed, but being a bit more receptive to sort of who they are and where they're coming from and, and where they're at at the moment. And, you know, the more intimate the act is, the more sort of trust the subjects have to have in you and the more relaxed and open they need to be. So I have to sort of be very relaxed and open myself. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, I would consider it intimate art or, or sexual art. I even like relaxed and open. Ooh, There's something uh-huh. about that that seems fitting as a descriptor for <laughs> the feeling of, of, uh, that I feel when I look at, at your images. Um, would you take us through your process a little bit? Cause these are incredibly intimate. Yeah. Uh, images. How do you reach the point of that kind of trust? And also, and also, how do you find folks willing to be so vulnerable and allow you into that space? Well, finding the people is is the biggest challenge. It's not yeah. easy um, for many, you know, for many reasons. Um, as human beings, one of our biggest fears is being ridiculed <laughs> by others, mm-hmm. especially our peers and family and people we work with and stuff like that. So there's been a, you know, a negative history, a negative history of sexual images being used to do revenge porn and, you know, harm people in, in different ways. So people are naturally, you know, skittish about that. Um, sometimes for no particularly good reason. Sometimes it's, it's just paranoia, but it's, mm. you know, it's real. Um, also, um, people struggle with their body image and mm. it's not just, not just women. I've, I've found that men 
struggle just as much. Um, women get a lot of pressure in the society to look a certain way or, you know, represent themselves a certain way. But men get it too. And I've, I've had men say, um, okay, well, let me go to the gym for six months and get a six pack first before <laughs> let you right. uh, photograph, uh, you know, I let, let you photograph me. And I'm like, it's not about that. It's, you know, it's a body positive uh, project. I'm, you know, I love photographing people of all different shapes and sizes and colors and ages. And it, when you when you do see my books, um, there's a really great representation of larger people um, and, and people that uh, are are not what would be considered true to, you know conventionally beautiful. Mm. So yeah, um, getting getting people is not easy. Fortunately, I've been photographing sex for seven years so you know i have an, a bit of a network i do have contacts so um often people refer people people that have photographed with me before will refer friends or acquaintances um and i also put casting notices up on the internet as well so that's primarily you know how i get people and as far as the process of actually making the work itself um I learned a lot by being a film director. I, I've written and directed three uh, independent uh, fictional feature films in my past. And, you know, the main job of a director is getting the actors ready. <laughs> so you rehearse and you rehearse and you prepare. And if you do a good job, by the time you get on set and are, and are, and are filming, most of the, the hard work's already done. Mm. And it's similar with photography. I spent a lot of time before the shoot talking to people um, and helping them get ready uh, for the shoot. And if you do a good job of that, uh, there's a rapport that's already started and people are already, already well on their way to being able to do what they need to do in front of the camera before, before the shoot even starts. So you don't have necessarily, that's really cool. Um, do you like a choreography? You kind of, are you also just kind of observing the movement? Yeah, I don't tell people what to do. I don't direct um, the shoots that way. That would be, that would be too much like porn. <laughs> too, <laughs> right. Too performative. performative. Uh, no, I am... Um, I move around and just sort of try and get good angles mm. of what people are doing. Um, sometimes I will have to tell people to keep their chins up because if people drop their chins down too much, that's not so good for the camera. Sometimes I'll have to ask people to get their hair out of their face. <laughs> mm. Things ha things happen when people are moving around. But um, the best shoots are the ones where I have to say the least and, yeah. you know, and my, um, my models have written a lot of articles about what the shoots were like for them. And one of the repeating themes is, um, I forgot that he was there. Right, right. <laughs> Which, you know, is interesting. Um, but me being sarcastic, I'll say, oh, am I that, like, you know, am I that insignificant? Am I, old oh, man, you know, I mean, that easy to ignore. <laughs> but... Uh, is it... <clears throat> I mean, looking at some of the photos, the... There is a real like um, there's a real at least from from looking at it, it seems like there's a real tangible intimacy 
a quality of a, a very tangible intimacy within with with the models. Are you are you more often than not um, photographing real couples or or people who already have an established relationship or? Are you sometimes bringing together two models that have never met, and this is the first, this is the first time that they're going to get their clothes off and 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 explore one another's bodies? Well, both happen. Um, I always prefer to photograph people that are in real relationships. Right. Um, you know, you, it's you know, it's great to tap into the dy- dynamic that's already evolved um, mm. between them. But sometimes it has been complete strangers. Um, I don't. I don't like to sort of tell people who to shoot with. So most of the time, people pick who they want to shoot with. But there've been yeah. times when people haven't had people to shoot with and said, you know, can you, you know, is there anyone that you know you could match me with? Um, but one of my best shoots was with two strangers that had never, you know, had sex before. Uh, they had met each other a couple of times, like sort of socially at parties or whatever, but they had had no previous physical relationship. And yeah, they got together specifically um, for the purpose of, of, of the shoot. And ironically, it was because the woman's boyfriend didn't want to participate. So she opted to participate with, you know, with another man. And it was amazing. I mean, hmm. the the chemistry was 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 intense and um and there's something to be said about um about discovery about the thrill of discovery yeah. about touching a touching a body for the first time looking at someone for the first time tasting them for the first time feeling them for the first time so yeah that, um so many of my best shoots have been with couples um i did a shoot with um a couple that have been together since they were 15 and then they were both 50 when I, when I photographed them Whoa. and I photographed someone that's been together and, and they've, they've only ever been with each other. They've never been with anybody else in their life. So to photograph that was, you know, quite amazing, mm. but also photo- photographing these two people that were getting together for the first time was, was amazing as well. And it, it, that, it, Sorry, Brad, go, go for it. I was just going to say, that'd be so interesting to see those in contrast to one another. Mm. I could I can hook that up for you. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. I I am curious to know if if um if it, just based off what you were saying there, like a you know a couple that's been together since they were fifteen, and now they're in their fifties. Are are most of the people that you work with, um, is is this type of thing, whether that be in the realm of just modeling, you know, with clothes on or or modeling with clothes off? Is this like something that a lot of the people that you work with are, are have partook in before, or, or do you sometimes have people showing up to a shoot that are like, I've never done anything like this. And, and this is very novel and new for me. Um, yeah, almost no one that I photographed, um, have been people that have been frequently photographed for most people. It's the first time being photographed by a professional Mm. photographer in the era of smartphones, lots of people snap naughty pictures themselves. Of course, of course. <laughs> when, they're, when, they're, when they're doing their thing. But um, I would say 80% of the people that I've photographed um, have never been photographed by a professional photographer before. And a lot of them would never have done it. Um, 
if it hadn't been for my specific project. Um, so, um, yeah, um, it's mostly newbies um, <laughs> that I'm working, working with, which is great um, because they don't have pre-established sort of habits or pre-established poses or mm. personas that they're doing in front of the camera. They, right, right. Like it almost eliminates the performance aspect right off the bat. Yeah. Um, you know, some people are naturally exhibitionist and you have sure. to sort of, you know, t- try and tamp down that, that performative instinct. But yeah, for a lot of them, um, yeah, they're completely raw and, and new at it and scared. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Can, can, you have a number of volumes of photography that you have published. It, it seems, I think I read that you're on your 10th book uh, right now. Can you I tell am. me a little bit about um, the, the goddess project parts sure. one, two, and three, I think there are. <laughs> sure. And there's even two pre goddess books. Um, <laughs> so when I made the transition from photography to fine art nudes, the first thing I did was I photographed black men and black women nude in color in natural landscapes. And that was a great um, healing journey for me because in my fashion photography career, I was rarely allowed to photograph black people. Um, The magazines in Canada and the States, you know, this is back in, you know, the 80s and early 90s. Late, late, late 80s, early 90s, and they told me things like if we put a, you know, a black woman on the cover, we'd go bankrupt, <laughs> which, was, which was ridiculous. But um, that was, you know, that was the reality at the time. And I remember one Canadian magazine allowed me to photograph a black woman, this beautiful Jamaican woman, and they made me put her in a platinum blonde wig and they made me put um, blue tinted contact lenses on her. And I was so pissed off, pissed off. They wanted to like erase her blackness as much as possible. Um, so, um, yeah, having been starved of being able to photograph my own people, um, I wanted to really dive into that. So I spent a few years only photographing black men and black women and had 14 gallery shows of that work. And, um, and so, yeah, that was sort of like the pre goddess, um, work. And then I started photographing uh, women of all different colors and shapes and sizes and ages. And that was the Goddess um, Project. And I did three books of that work um, from uh, 2002 to 2014. And uh, yeah, um, it was interesting and fun uh, for me because I really truly do love photographing people of all ages and sizes and, and colors and gender identities and sexualities. So I love diversity. So that was a very, very super diverse uh, project. But, but a weird thing happened when I was shooting uh, book two. I was photographing a 70-year-old woman in Washington State, a sculptor. And we were shooting in the forest, as I usually did. And in the middle of the shoot, without warning or without us discussing it, she started masturbating and she gave herself like this big orgasm. And I didn't know what to do, so I just kept shooting. And uh, 
we didn't talk about it afterwards. Never even, we never even mentioned it. And uh, I just thought it was a weird, random thing. So I didn't really, you know, think about it too much. And then it happened again shortly afterwards with a 53-year-old. Um, and I was just like, okay, this is weird on a few different levels. First of all, why aren't any of the 20-year-olds or 30-year-olds or 40-year-olds doing it? <laughs> and, and, and why now? And, and um, so I started talking to some of my people, and they made me aware of the fact that they wanted to express more of their sexuality but that I wouldn't let them do it because, you know, I was keeping my work non-sexual because I didn't want to compare it to porn. And I felt bad about that. I felt like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm censoring people, I'm holding people back, I'm being Ooh. an obstacle to people expressing themselves, and that didn't feel good. So I did an experiment in book three of The Goddess Project where I made it um, a book about self-pleasure. So I photographed women and trans person's um, masturbating and it was challenging and exciting for me as a photographer because I, I had to shoot it quite differently than shooting nudes different cameras different lights different angles just everything there was nothing the same there's nothing similar so it was it was great to shake myself up that way mm. um, and it was just also emotionally challenging and interesting because it required a deeper level of commitment on my part. And um, afterwards I talked to the people and they said that, you know, the, you know, they enjoyed having more room to express their sexuality, but they still felt constricted because I didn't allow them to work with partners. And so <laughs> I said, okay, the next book, you can shoot by yourself or you can shoot with, you know, a partner or two partners, whatever you want. Um, and that's how the goddess project became the sex goddess project. You know, next thing you need, I know I wake up and I'm a sex photographer all of a sudden. Right. The yeah. One, the, the thing I didn't want to do, I'm now in the realm of porn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. That's, what, a, what a fascinating you know. evolution. I think that's really, uh, that's really interesting. Yeah. What struck me about what you're just saying is like, you're an artist and you have as an, an artist, you have your expression and then you have these people coming in and saying that they wanted to, they want to express as models. So what, how do you, how do you navigate that as the, basically the one who's sort of in control of the image? Like what is the balance of their expression and your expression? Is that something that you have to wrestle with very much? <laughs> I wrestle with it all the time, and I wrestled with it when I was in art school. When I was at NESCAD, um, my photography professor was a Marxist-Leninist, and he spent probably as much time talking about Marxist-Leninism as he did about photography. They do that, don't and they? Yes, and you know, him and I had a, him and I had a big screaming match in class about it one time, and uh, and. Um, but some of the stuff that he talked about stuck with me. And he was talking about how artists shouldn't just be masturbatory, shouldn't just be like, you know, jerking themselves off on their work, um, that they should be trying to serve like a bigger purpose, if possible, mm -hmm. if, you know, if they're inclined that way, if they're called that way. And, you know, he was talking about how important art was in everybody's lives and, 
in how un, how underrated that importance is. And I, you know, I thought about it and growing up, my heroes were artists like Bob Marley and, you know, George Orwell and Van Gogh and, and different things. And I thought, yeah, I mean, art is important. Every single day of my life, my life is enriched, you know, by artists. And, um, you know, I think when Bob Marley was writing his songs, he wasn't just writing them for himself. He, you know, he was writing them for the people. He was, he had a message, you know, that was beyond himself. Um, and um, I think that's been true for a lot of artists. I think when Shakespeare, you know, was writing his plays, he was thinking about the human condition and mm. all the, the many ways that, um, that we struggle with, you know, being a human being on, on this earth and how we struggle with power, how we struggle with desire, <laughs> how we struggle with violence, how we struggle with love, how we struggle with a lot of things. And I just thought, okay, um, you know, how can I make my work be more than just about me and my own particular hangups and my own particular comfort zone? If I'm asking all these people to go outside of their comfort zone, you know, how willing you know, am I to go outside of mine? And so uh, it became about that. It became about, you know, you know, what's the bigger picture? And to me, the bigger picture is we live in a society where we're still so conflicted about the most important and most beautiful thing in life, which is sex. I mean, the bottom line is none of us would be here <laughs> without sex. Yeah. That, that plant behind you wouldn't be there without plants having sex. <laughs> um, sex is what you know makes the world go around and it's a time when it's done you know when it's done in us in the right way according to me it's a time where we can take off our clothes and let down our defenses and you know re, you know relax our inhibitions and and be a bit more free mm -hmm. than we than we can be when we're clothed and in in the world and you know, and sort of being non-sexual. Um, and I think that's why it's driven so much human behavior. I mean, look, look at what we do for sex. <laughs> look at what, and look at what we've always done for sex. We've, mm. we've, done, we've done great and horrible things in the name of sex because it's, it's a powerful thing. So um, this powerful, beautiful thing we're so immature about and so conflicted about in this society. And I thought that's the bigger picture. The bigger picture is, as I say in my slogan that sex is too important to leave in the hands of pornographers. Pornographers can't be the only people that are, you know, talking about sex in the art, you know, in the area of images, in the area of, of, of the visual. Hmm. So um, I sort of, you know, I guess I came, became a bit Marxist-Leninist in my <laughs> yeah, right, right. In, in my in my art in my artwork. I I mean you you're I feel like you're you're sort of touching on it there in what you said, but but maybe I'll just ask this to, just to see if there's a bit of a um, a bit of a different answer. But in in the work that you've inevitably found yourself you know immersed in, has this how has this at all changed your relationship to sex your own personal relationship to sex um it's changed it quite a bit um i'm 56 years old <laughs> i've 
been having sex for 41 years. Um, I was a fashion photographer. I've traveled different places. Um, you know, I've, ha I've, I've had lots of sex. And I thought that I knew a lot about sex. And in starting this project, um, starting the Sex Goddess project, I realized I knew almost nothing. Mm. I was so naive, such, such a, a newbie to the world that's out there. Um, there was just so much. There's so much diversity of sexual expression, sexual identity, um, sexual dynamics. And I'm pretty sure after you know, seven years and four books and photographing 503 people, um, I'm sure I haven't even scratched the surface of, you know, of the world of, of sex. So it's opened my eyes and my mind quite a bit. Um, I was able to be comfortable uh, photographing um, things that would have traumatized me <laughs> great, greatly uh, before before in, in embarking on this particular journey. And I will say I've seen some things that I wish I could unsee, but, uh, <laughs> but um, it's, you know, it's definitely made me a much more open, more tolerant uh, person. And I, you know, I'm looking forward to becoming even more open and, and more tolerant. Um, that being said, sadly, it's also been very difficult for my own personal life. Um, I've, you know, I've lost three of my last four girlfriends because of the project. Um, right. I, you know, it's not easy. It's not the easiest thing in the world necessarily to date if you're, you know, if you're a sex photographer. It's not like <laughs> something that people are looking to see on, on someone's profile on a dating site or something like that. Um, you know, there are, you know, there are, you know, consequences. And you just get a lot of flack and a lot mm. of push pushback from social media, from, you know, the government, from all kinds of different sources. And in fact, some, sometimes I think my life would be easier if I was an outlaw biker mm. than being a sex photographer. I think if I was a hell's angel, um, I would get less pushback than, you know, than... Mm than being a, a, you know, being an intimate artist. You've just sparked, um, a, a wild idea for your next book, I think, which yeah. is some sort of hell's angel, uh, sex photography. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, there you go. It Ooh, just writes okay. itself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, can you, um, I'm wondering if you could, uh, like bring us sort of back Ooh. to, um, your origin story in terms of like how, what were your influences as a young person that you, you mentioned some artists and whatnot, but you know, were your, were, were your parents or any of your, your guardians or, or like real present influences, did they open any of these doors in your mind about sexuality and, and, uh, expression of, of that kind or, or, or were you like, a lot of us where it was just kind of like, no, don't, don't ask. You'll learn it from someone else when you're older. Well, the answer, simple answer is hell no. Um, <laughs> I grew up, I grew up in a born again, Christian um, household. Um, my mom is still a very staunch uh, pro Donald Trump Christian. <laughs> um, 
One of the things that happened to me is when I was 10 years old, I found a stack of Playboy magazines um, thrown out on the corner. Someone had just sort of tied them up with string and just left them on the corner with news with a stack of newspapers. And it was a stack of Playboys that must have been like two feet tall. That's a gold mine. Um, uh, yeah. Um, so, so my friend and I found it and we had like a little clubhouse, um, and we took it back to our clubhouse and we just spent days looking at this and it was, it was very traumatizing. <laughs> I was not ready to be aroused that way. It kind of, you know, was mind blowing. Um, mm. and I, I wish I hadn't found them, but I did find them. So that, you know, alerted me to that there was a world out there that I knew nothing about. And it wasn't just the photos. Um, I read the articles <laughs> and uh, it was always about all these uh, uh, flight attendants flying all over the world and having all this wild sex and, you know, all this kind of stuff. This would have, this would have been 1975. So, um, you know, it was a swinging world <laughs> back, back then. Um, and so that, I think started, you know, the process. It it made me, I think, aware of, in a on a level that I, I couldn't process till much later, the how powerful sexual images were, uh, and still are. They're very very powerful, and if used um, cynically, um, they can be quite da- damaging to people. Mm. So um, so yeah, that would that would be my first introduction. But no, my mom. <laughs> You know, my mom never talked to me about sex. Um, when I was 14, she left a book on my bed called What Every Young Man Should Know About Sex. But I already knew everything that was in the book by the time I was 14. But, you know, God bless her. She did at least leave me a book. But a year earlier, I'd found my own book, uh, which was called The Joy of Sex. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys remember, remember that book. Um, and that was a much more healthy uh, thing to discover than the Playboy magazines. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, was, it had Kama Sutra poses in it and stuff like that. Mm. It was like, okay, uh, there's a whole world out there that uh, is exciting. <laughs> it's remarkable to me how many 10-year-old boys stumbled upon stacks of Playboy magazines somewhere. We've had this conversation with so many people who are like, oh yeah, a pile in the woods, a pile in my dad, under my dad's bed, a pile. I'm like, I never saw, but I did find the joy of sex in my, in the, in the library in my house. Um, which is weird because other than to produce children, I don't believe my dad and stepmother ever had sex. So (laughs) Wow. That book, <laughs> you that, think. that book was popular. That book was popular. Everyone sort of had that, that book. Um, and those images are still with me. Those are the yeah. first sort of sexual images that I stumbled across. And absolutely they impacted me and probably, you know, I don't, I won't use the word traumatized, but definitely, definitely, um, at least set up. up some, like shook me up. Couldn't ask anybody about it. Yeah, right. W- wasn't going to get any clarification from anyone. Anytime I asked anything, it was always, you know, you're too young to know that. You'll find out later. And too often that means that, you know, that that young people stumble into situations they're not ready to be able to effectively mm. handle. So, but it's just so wild that the, the, there's like, there's almost always the joy of sex and there's almost always a stack of, stack of, of playboys yeah. in everyone's yeah. origin story. Uh, yeah, 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 it's very common. 
Um, Ricardo, what do you <laughs> well, have? Uh, what do you have on the go now? What's uh, What's the next project for you? What 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 are you looking forward to? Well, I finished the Sex Goddess project. Um, I finished it um, last November, and I've started my new project, which is called the Intimacy Project. So I am. <clears throat> my focus now is not sex; it's intimacy. Um, that's not to say that people aren't having sex um, in the intimacy project. They don't have to, but most of them are. But it's about intimacy. It's about you know people deeply connecting and being vulnerable and open and soft. Um, And it's much more, over the four books, I started more and more focusing on people's faces and focusing on the way that people look at each other and the way that people touch each other and the sort of the inside jokes (laughs) that they tell Mm. each other in in the middle of it all. And that's, you know, what I find interesting at this point in my journey. And that, you know, that is sort of the journey from fashion to nudes, from nudes to sex, and now from sex to intimacy. And I, I know what the next, you know, phase is going to be too. um, But I'm not there yet. But Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, um, I'm looking forward to doing several books um, about intimacy. And Ironically, <laughs> it's even harder to find people to photograph for intimacy mm. because pe- people that are okay, you know, uh, being photographed fucking um, aren't necessarily okay about people seeing them in a very vulnerable, mm. open, loving, connected sort of space. And for some people, that's not how they have sex. It's, you know, the way they have sex is, is different, on a, you know might have more of a, a dominant and submissive kind of flavor, might, you know, might be more um, uh, primal and animalistic and, you know, whatever. And it's all, all good. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm creating books with the, the loving, deep uh, connection happening, the intimacy. Mm, wonderful. Yeah, that that's is fascinating. very exciting. Um, well, I love the idea that you can capture chemistry yeah in a in a still photograph Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, how can people find your work how can people stay up to date with what you're up to um the best two places are sexnotporn.com and also intimateartproject.com the sex not art sort of covers all of sort of my sexual work um the Sex Goddess Project, the Intimate Art Project, but also um, I've started releasing um, NFTs of, of my work. Um, mm. I've got a ser- series called the Love Drops series where I'm releasing NFTs of loving photographs of people kissing and, and mm. you know, sort of being, being in a loving space. Um, so all of that's on, a lot of introduction, all of that's on Sex Not Porn. And, and specifically, a more in-depth look at the Intimate Art Project, the Intimacy Project, is on intimateartproject.com. Those would be the two best places. And um, are you still looking for models? And how do people find you if they want to be featured or mm-hmm. a subject in your project? Yeah, there's there's links to, um, to volunteer, to model um, on, on those sites. 
Also links for people to go to my events um, if they want to uh, go to some of my events and to, you know, inquire about seeing more of the work. I put very little of my work on the internet. <laughs> so uh, um, what's on my site is just a, a very, very small taste. And I don't put my more explicit images um, on my website. I obviously don't want to overexpose my people uh, in an irresponsible way. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, if people want to see more of the work, they can come to an event. Um, I have both online and in-person events, but, um, they can also just request, uh, to see more of the work and I will, you know, make an appointment with them online or in person to show them more of the work. Um, so yeah. And the, yeah, can volunteer, uh, to be photographed or volunteer to help the project in, in some other way through those, through those sites. Very cool. And by the way, and, and by the way, if uh, we'll be in Nova Scotia for a month, so if you guys want to come and shoot, <laughs> yeah. don't, don't be shy. I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready for you. I'm ready for you. We are due uh, for some new promotional we, photos. That's true. That is true. <laughs> Oh, I, uh, I, I, I could promote, I could promote you in a whole new way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's it. That is it. <laughs> I stripped down. I got naked for one um, one photo shoot, and it honestly was life changing. Mm. Um, as a a woman in my thirties, uh, with all kinds of hangups about getting my photo taken, it was surprisingly much more comfortable as my clothes came off. Mm. Because I think, and I've said this, like our audience has heard this before, but. Clothes, hair, makeup. Uh, I've never felt really confident in like putting those elements together on me and then like, you know, be like, that's right. This is me. So taking all of that away was it was like, Ooh. oh, no, this is me. This is far more comfortable. And Ooh. whatever you capture is the real deal, because I can't I'm not I can't I'm not, can't, I can't hide yeah. behind anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. can't be. Yeah, there's this. Yeah, there's nothing to hide behind. Yeah, it's, I find that's mostly what happens with my models. 90% of the time, they're really nervous and lots of things are going through their heads before the shoot. And with five, within five minutes into it, that sort of all melts away. Mm. And they, you know, they become comfortable in their own skin. And sometimes my biggest problem is trying to get people to put their clothes back on. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I, I've had to beg people. I've I had to say, okay, I've got enough photos. And they're like, oh, no, no, I got another idea. Okay, okay, we didn't try this or we didn't try that. I'm like, oh, I got to go. Like, <laughs> so, I'm dehydrated. I haven't eaten in seven hours. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not It's not only that. I'm, I'm six foot three. And uh, some of the angles I have to put myself in to yeah, get the right, shot right. Are, are really hard on my back. My back is so sore after oh. shoots. I have to contort myself sometimes to get these angles. And, I'm, you know, so I'm like begging for mercy. Please, can we finish the shoot? <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, well, Thank you so yeah, much this for has sharing been really nice. this. This has been really fun no. to chat with you. No, thank you. I, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys. And just remember, I'm in Nova Scotia for a month. Yeah, you hear that, hope, friends? Hopefully we'll you see that, you while friends? you're here.
All right, that was our conversation with Ricardo. And I uh, hope you enjoyed that. Um, uh, that is it for this week. Uh, for the folks listening at home, if you are tuning in on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and review. If you're listening from Spotify, hit the follow button. Um, all that shit goes to help. Um, so if you don't feel like you want to support via Patreon, you can, you can definitely do that. Uh, if you want to support us on Patreon, again, like we say time and time again, www.patreon.com slash turn me on uh and lots of great perks there and again we are i'm we're just like coming right up to basically our last episode of season two next we're week only uh no no we have oh uh no no we because we have we have three episodes left this this would be we have two after today uh well do we not we we said that next week was going to be our last one i could be wrong on my number I count think but you are wrong because we have uh we have the conversation with well, uh, the Pussypedia folks, and we have the, that really, really awesome conversation that we were saving for our, our last episode. Or well, did I fuck that up? Uh, no, you're 100% right, but um, this is episode 199. <clears throat> so next week is episode 200. So we will have, oh, we're gonna have a tough call episodes. to make. But I think oh, we I do know which one we're going to release. Oh, I see. I and see. And the other one is in the vault for our patrons who are oh. getting, who are the only ones getting an episode My in bad. August. My bad. Thank you again to our patrons who are supporting us taking August to produce our season three. Is there three. only one more week left to July? Yeah. Fuck my pussy. Oh my God. The summer's almost over. I know. Ugh. I, I just got sad again. Don't say that because we only oh. get eight weeks of summer. Don't. It's not right. almost yeah, it's, over. Yeah, I guess you're right. It's, but we are. You oh, know, global warming. We're a third I mean, like, of the way the summer, through. The global warming. This is the hottest the, summer the I've summer ever felt last. in my life. We're not going to have a winter this year. That's true. We might just yeah. keep going. We might just scald into the end of December. <laughs> um, all right, folks. Uh, well, then there you have it. This is uh, next week. Well, it will be our last episode of the fucking season. That's fucking crazy. Our three and a half year season. Uh, our three and a half year season. It was a long <laughs> one. Um, uh, but listen, if you if you if you're not aware, don't fret. Uh, we're only taking a month off. We will be gone for August, except for our patrons. You get a bonus episode, and we'll be coming back in September with lots of fun shit in the pipeline. So that is it for this week. Until next week. Go touch yourself. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 